1: I haven't gambled in over 10 years, and every day it's a struggle. And I'm thankful that God keeps it real in my life because I think if for one minute I thought, yeah, I could play poker here, I could go to the track and I could handle it this time, I, I would be in that same mess.
0: His young life was nearly ruined by an addiction to gambling. Stay tuned now for our First Person guest, Rob Walgate. I'm Wayne Shepard. Welcome to this week's edition. First Person's aim is for people to tell their stories of faith in Christ and how that faith has set them on a path of service and obedience to the Lord. If you'd like to go back into the archive of past programs, you'll find them at firstpersoninterview.com or download our free smartphone app for downloading programs to listen to on your schedule. Look for the app First Person Interview in your app store. Now working with the American Policy Roundtable, Rob Walgate opposes gambling both personally and professionally. But as a teenager, Rob became addicted to gambling, serious gambling. We're going to listen to how the Lord turned his life around in a conversation we recorded a number of years ago. And then before we leave today, Rob will update his story to the present.
1: Well, for me, it began at a young age. I was probably 12 or 13 years old and what we would do is we would play games in the neighborhood and what was deemed as harmless entertainment, nickel, dime, quarter, poker. You know, we would flip quarters. We would play the, the popular game in the neighborhood at the time. And my garage or another buddy's garage was AC Ducey, and that was a match-the-pot game. We'd use all our change. And, um, you know, it was something that our parents knew what we were doing and what we were, was going on, even as we got to be a little bit older. And I think if you would ask my mom about it, she would probably tell you that it was her kids and the neighborhood kids and she knew what was going on. It was better that we were in her basement or her garage doing something rather than being out drinking and smoking and doing drugs. And she knew where we were
0: and what we were doing. So it seemed harmless.
1: It, it, was, it seemed very harmless. And you know what, Wayne, for uh, almost all of the kids that were involved in playing, it was harmless. But for one, it wasn't.
0: Mm. When did you know that, hey, there's something here that I really like? I I like the rush I get or whatever the feeling is.
1: I've always been a competitive person. Um, I've always been involved in athletics. I've loved to study the games, whether it be basketball, baseball, or football, um, golf. I, I always loved that angle and always loved thinking that you could have that maybe mental or psychological edge over someone, and when I gambled, one of the first times when I wagered on um, horses, I saw that come out in me maybe a little bit more than what I had imagined. I saw, you know, the analyzing of the racing form and looking around and trying to outsmart everybody else that was in the paddock area that day or that was in the grandstand. I mean, that's what I did.
0: And how old were you when that happened?
1: I was was young. I was uh, 18. I was 18 when I made my first trip to the racetrack. And the racetrack that I grew up close to it was 17 minutes from my house. You, if I, you had it yeah, figured I knew, out. Huh? I knew. I knew how long it was going to take me to get from driveway to the bedding window. If I caught all the lights and didn't have to stop that many times at stop signs, it was close to home, and um, I spent I spent a lot of time there. And the one thing about that is the legal side of gambling basically introduced me to the illegal side of gambling. Where'd you get the money? a lot of different places. Being a compulsive gambler, I lied, I stole, I cheated, I did whatever I could to find a way to finance it. I can remember one time saving up and and buying a leather jacket when I was probably 19 or 20 years old, and I remember I had to turn around and sell that jacket to a buddy about a month and a half later to get money so that I could go gamble because that's what I wanted to do. So had to I to raise always, some cash. Right? Yeah, I always had an angle, a way to do it. At one point, I was working for a bookie and um, made a lot of money answering phones in a trailer on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays during football season and Thursday evenings, Monday nights, things like that. So, And I always had a story. I always had a lie. I always told my parents I would be one place. I was somewhere different because at this point, I was still living at home with them.
0: You were living a lie. When did you cross the line from, as you say, legal to illegal? Well,
1: you know, uh, looking back on it, I crossed the line early. Uh, I guess I gambled at an accelerated pace. You know, I went away to college to play basketball my freshman year, and I quit the team before I even really started practice or tryouts. And I had all these excuses and reasons why I went on to fail out of that school. I moved back home and I failed out of two more colleges and, you know, I was never one that got bad grades or got in trouble in high school. So that was kind of a shock for most. And
0: what was going on? I mean, why were you failing?
1: Gambling just totally consumed my life. If I wasn't um, in the sports page trying to study angles and what was going on, I was at the racetrack. I was looking for a card game. I was doing whatever I could and that was consuming my life. I was It helped me escape reality, and reality was I was entering college, I was having to work hard, and I had a future ahead of me, and I I just refused to face those things, so I turned to other avenues and outlets, and gambling was the major avenue and outlet that I turned to.
0: Living a life of deception like that, is is that unusual? Do you see other young people who are susceptible to what you went through?
1: Unfortunately, I do. The reason why gambling is such a painful and hard addiction to, to, to really... Wrap yourself around and understand. One of the reasons is is it's limitless. Limitless. I I mean that financially limitless. When someone has to hit rock bottom for a gambling addiction, usually they've exhausted every avenue possible of obtaining money. That's through cash advancing credit cards. That's from um, using. Uh, equity lines of credit, maybe against their home or other f- forms of assets that they have. So so it really can cause you to live that line because no one sees you high. No one sees you drunk. You've kind of buried all the emotion on the inside.
0: How deep in debt did you get?
1: Oh, uh, well, we I tried to calculate it one day um, between – I would say over a hundred thousand dollars that I wagered away. Wait a minute,
0: how old are you at this point?
1: Well, I I gambled from the time you know I was a teenager. It got really bad from the time I was eighteen to the time I was twenty three. And when I say that amount of money, I'm calculating in I was taking out student loans at one point to go to college, and I'm paying on student loans to this day from times that I from schools that I failed out of. I'm still paying for decisions I made years
0: and years ago. How did you keep it hidden or did you keep it hidden?
1: Well, there were a lot of ways. Um, I I kept it hidden. A lot of people would tell me when they would see me at the track. I was a frequent visitor at the track. And a lot of people would see me there and they would say, you know, I see you here all the time. And being a gambler, I was uh, the king of manipulation. I was a great liar and, and you know, had a lot of deceit in my system. And I would look at them square in the face and I would say, every time you see me here, you are here. So do I have the problem or do you have the problem? Because for you to see me here, you have to be here. So you t- And I would always have a way of turning it around on other people and making it their problem. They're the reason. Um, you know, I-, I lied to my parents a lot about where I was and where I would be, and they trusted me. You know, I was in my early 20s, so they I had freedom. It's not like, you know, they had a GPS system tracking me. So I had a lot of freedom to do whatever I wanted, and and I just ran with it.
0: We'll continue talking with Rob Walgate and update his life today when you continue listening now to First Person.
2: I'm so grateful for the grace I receive while listening to FEBC all day long. I cried listening to God's message multiple times.
0: The Far East Broadcasting Company receives millions of responses each year from grateful listeners. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. That's febc.org. The Far East Broadcasting Company. Until all have heard. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and my first-person guest is my friend Rob Walgate of the American Policy Roundtable, an addicted gambler when he was a teenager, I asked Rob in this conversation if gambling is as innocent and as victimless as it sometimes is portrayed.
1: Well, it's not victimless. You know, I was – there's many times that I spent hours in casinos and um, I knew that people were making decisions in those casinos that were going to affect many people. And many times the people they were affecting were young people, whether it be their children or other dependents they needed to take care of. I can remember walking into a casino one time and seeing kids locked in a car. At that point in my life, I thought nothing of it.
0: At the height of your gambling addiction, you're in your early 20s. Early 20s. Any thought of God or Jesus in your life or faith of any kind?
1: I grew up in a family that when the church doors were open, we were inside the church. The church that I grew up in from the time I was um, – my parents still go to the same church to this day as the church they went to the day I was born. And um, when I was a young kid up to the age of 12 or 13, it was about a block away from the house that we lived in. So we were I was there all the time, and I knew what it meant, and I knew the right words to say, and I knew the way to act. And remember, I was the good kid. I did not drink, smoke, do drugs, any of that. And, so on uh, the surface, everything yeah, looked clean. It, it was. And... And, but remember, gambling then opened the door to alcohol and drugs and all those other things because gambling helped me escape reality, and then alcohol and drugs helped me escape gambling.
0: When did the spiritual breakthrough come, or, or did it come once, or did it come, have to come well, several times before it really connected with you? At
1: the end of March in 2000, uh, I had lost roughly $23,000 in a five-day period. I decided that I was going to check myself into a rehab facility. And I found one on the internet in Baltimore, Maryland. So I was checking myself in. And and what had hit me, Wayne, is the fact that that was how I was going to die. I knew I was going to die a gambler. I knew I was going to die alone and broke and very miserable because I was not a happy person. You were at the end. I, I was. I mean, I was at the bottom. My mom had harped on me many times to read the Bible and ask God for help. And my, my dad had done the same, but you know, it kind of, as young men in our lives, our moms have that way of
0: moms do have that way. Yeah, yeah. they
1: do. So she would always get on me about reading the Bible and, and getting right with the Lord and, and asking God for help. And, you know, I just shut it out. So, one day I told her, I said, Mom, I don't read the Bible or anything. It was written a long time ago. It was originally written in Greek, and, you know, I don't understand the words and blah, 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 blah. And she left my room and left me alone, and I was like, wow, that's kind of interesting. I should have thought of that sooner. <laughs> so the next day she showed up with a Bible with every verse broken down, you know, and it talks about it. It's original context, and she said, try this. So Not so, so fast. And huh? That was a few months before I had made the decision to go uh, to rehab. And when I had made that decision to go to rehab, I was packing my clothes. It was going to be a roughly four and a half, five-hour drive from where I lived, and that Bible was still on my TV, and it had dust on it because I had never cracked it since she'd given it to me. And I was packing, and I thought, you know, this sure can't hurt. So I grabbed it and I put it, I put it in my bag, and I went to um, the rehab facility in Baltimore, Maryland. And when I got there, it was a residential place. There was. Three other patients, I made the fourth when I got there. It was packed, and all these people were there. And my mom, if you would ask her, she would tell you. Her prayer was that God would send people to talk to me and people to put in my life. And what was interesting was after I was there one week, two of the people that were there left. Another, well, All three of them really left. Um, and the majority of counselors at the facility all came down and got sick. So there I was on the east side of Baltimore, all alone, away from home, in a facility. So during that time when everyone was sick and I had no one to talk to is when I got out the Bible and I started reading it. I started asking God for help, and I didn't tell anyone about that. But again, I was like, you know, it it sure can't hurt. Um, The following week, I had decided that I was done with the rehab facility process. I'd had enough. I was fine. I needed to go home, and I wanted to go home.
0: You proclaimed yourself healed?
1: I did. I did. And everyone there said, you're not ready to go home. Um, They told me not to go. And I said, I don't care what you say. I can run my own life. I had friends I wanted to see. I had um, a girl or two maybe that I wanted to go home and see. And I said, I'm going home. So I left and I went home. And uh, that would have been in the middle of April of 2000. And for a few weeks, um, I'd lived my life and um, ran around. I didn't gamble again, but I did some of the same things that I was doing before, and I wasn't living my life the way I should have. I went to church on Sunday, April thirtieth, 2000, and I went to church mainly, as always, because I lived under my parents' roof, and the rule was when I lived there, i go to church on Sunday morning. I didn't like the rule. And my dad told me, that's fine. There's an easy way to fix the rule. Move out of my house. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to church, and a young man was there named Cameron Mills. He was a former basketball player at the University of Kentucky. And he gave his testimony and shared that morning and preached. He has a ministry. And the first thing I did when I saw Cameron Mills was I looked at his hands because I wanted to see the rings. Mm-hmm. I knew he was on two national championship teams at the University of Kentucky. I gambled on the games. <laughs> For crying out loud, I knew (laughs) what was going on. He didn't have any rings on that day. And I thought, wow, that's kind of weird. And in his sermon that morning, he talked about the rings. And he said, you know, a lot of places I go, people ask me, where are your rings? And he said, I think I know what drawer they're into my house. But as the Lord tells us, those are material possessions that collect dust. And they will not get me through the gates of heaven. The only thing that will get me through the gates of heaven by the blood of Jesus Christ and confessing my sins to him and saying that he is Lord. And at that moment I knew what I had to do. And it couldn't be a game anymore. It had to be, I had to give my life and all of it. I couldn't put God in a box on the shelf. I couldn't ask for help when Rob needed help. I had to live my life and it's still a struggle to this day to live it the way I should every day. But I knew that's what I had to do, and when I went forward that Sunday morning, i think about my parents and all the people in that church that had prayed for me for so long, because it was something that I don't think anyone expected. If you would ask asked anyone in that town from the time I was 16, 17 years old, no one would have ever dreamed that I would have found the trouble that I found or lived the nightmare of the life that I lived. Um, but I thank God that I did live that way because had I not experienced those hardships, had I not lived that difficult lifestyle, I may have coasted by and thought I could do it all on my own, and I would never have needed him. And I think that's what scares me more than anything. Mm-hmm.
0: Rob, as you look back now and all that pain and that uh, that rescue on the part of God of your life, are you grateful for what you went through?
1: I thank God for it. You know, some people ask about it all the time. They, they I haven't gambled since. In in over 10 years And people ask all the time Is it a struggle Every day it's a struggle Do I live my life perfectly now No I don't live my life perfectly I fall short Just like everybody else falls short And I try not to make those same mistakes again But um, I'm thankful I went through those hardships And I'm thankful that God keeps it real in my life because I think if for one minute I thought, yeah, I could play poker here, or I could go to the track, and I could handle it this time, I I would be in that same mess. I am blessed with an amazing family, a wife, a child that I hold dearly, and um, that love me unconditionally. Uh, uh, a brother, and you know my parents. There's so many people and friends that have been involved. That
0: you're not about to put that at risk. No, <laughs> no, I'm not. Or your own soul,
1: or or my own soul. You know, God has um, He's blessed me in so many ways. And again, I know I fall short. I know I do things that I'm not supposed to. But you know, when it comes to that, I just want to make sure. Whenever I get tempted and think about it, I do a lot of praying. I do do a lot of praying regarding that. But when I get tempted and think about it, I think about some of the lowest lows. You know, I think, I mean, I skipped family members' funerals. I skipped holidays. There's so many things that I missed out on because an addiction controlled my life. And um, whenever I get tempted, I think of those things because I never want to have that feeling on the inside of me.
0: Well, it's hard to believe that what we just heard was recorded nearly 10 years ago. Rob Walgate has joined me here these many years later, and Rob, I certainly understand the emotion you felt that day and probably still feel, but let's bring everyone up to date. First of all, your family has grown since that was recorded.
2: Yeah, I noticed in that close, uh, I talked about having a child, and now I have two children. (laughs) So yeah, uh, it it definitely has grown.
0: Yeah, and your oldest is about the age, or soon will be the age, when you started gambling.
2: Yeah, he's not far from his teen years, and um, when he dabbled in that. You know, Wayne, scary thing about parenting is you see some of the traits and tendencies of yourself in your children, and There's no doubt. I see some of those same competitive traits in my child. I see those in my son. I see how you can get sucked in um, to different games, whether video games or competitive games. So you see how that's in there. And there's no doubt that's uh, ingrained in some of us a little bit more.
0: Well, Rob, the reason I wanted to update here at the end of that uh, interview from years ago is the fact that gambling is so much more uh, available to people now with all that's happening in the sports world, for instance.
2: It's everywhere. And in a number of states, it's as easy as creating an account and gambling on sports on your phone from wherever you are inside that state. And that gives me a lot of concern for a lot of young people. You know, I listened to that interview that you and I did from 10 years ago, and it brought back a lot of emotions, and it brought back a lot of thoughts, And um you know, here we are in March of 2020. It will be 20 years since I gambled. Hmm. Now, by no means have I led a perfect life since I stopped gambling in March of 2000. And I can't believe it will have been 20 years ago. Um, I still, as I said in that interview, I still fall every day. I still fall short every day. Yeah, And um, it's just the thought that gambling has exploded so much in the past 10 years, and it's going to give the opportunity for so many more young people to, in essence, throw their life away, chasing a pipe dream. That breaks my heart.
0: Well, praise God he turned your life around and continues to uh, show you that grace in your life, Rob, and we're so grateful for it. For the person who's listening and has a loved one that is kind of on the edge maybe, maybe they're concerned about their gambling habit, what would you say to them?
2: Well, I'd encourage them to talk to them. I would encourage them to maybe bring it up in a roundabout way. The thing about addicts it's so tough to do is addicts are the king of denial. Um, they don't want to admit it. They don't want to talk about it. Gambling especially can be that way because you don't see an erratic behavior. Maybe you don't see someone drunk or you don't see someone high. You just see them hiding a lot of things. Maybe they've ran up a debt they can't encounter. But um, go to them and talk to them out of love and out of care and out of concern. So many times those conversations end up in screaming matches, unfortunately, and not a lot's going to get solved then because if someone does have this addictive, destructive behavior, they, they may not be willing to listen rationally in the beginning. The other thing, I would encourage you to get help. There's some places out there, you know, a good friend of mine, Bob Cabanis in Williamsville Wellness in Virginia does a lot of work with addicts, with gambling addicts in particular. And um, I would encourage you to get help for that person, to talk with that path. That's the one thing that I think sometimes people fall into the trap that they can just do a little bit. They're going to be able to do a little bit. If you're an addict and don't have control over behaviors, you can't take part in that activity at all. And that's a tough thing for
0: some to grasp. My thanks to Rob Walgate for telling his story here on First Person. Rob is the vice president of the American Policy Roundtable and a part of the radio program, The Public Square. We'll put a link to Rob's work, which covers a good deal of the public policy landscape with a biblical perspective, including opposition to legalized gambling. More at FirstPersonInterview.com. A reminder that you can download these interviews and take them with you in the car or wherever you go. Just download our free smartphone app, First Person Interview. I'd like to thank the Far East Broadcasting Company for the support they give in making First Person a reality each week. Please say thank you by visiting febc.org and learning about the gospel going forth on radio and new media forms in many hard-to-reach countries. Exciting stories told in video form at febc.org. FEBC, until all have heard. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next time right here for First Person.